Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noon and welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Holden, celebrating its 50th anniversary of factory involvement in Australian motorsport and at the Bathurst 1000. Now many drivers have raced Holdens over the past half century, but no driver has been quite as loyal as our guest on this episode. He's won the Bathurst 1000 three times and twice as a factory Holden driver. He started more supercars championship races in Commodores than anyone else as well. That's right, Garth Tander joins us for this edition of the V8 Salute Podcast. Now, a few highlights from our chat ahead. Garth talks about his time with the Holden Racing Team and how very suddenly it started. He opens up about a few potential team changes that didn't pan out, including one on the other side of the fence. And he talks about the year that, this was all in the one year by the way, the driver's door fell off in a pit stop, a narrow miss with the kangaroo and hitting the medical car. And they still somehow finished on the Bathurst podium. So here we go. This is a great chat. Buckle up. Time to start. Garth Tander on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Holden. GT, welcome to the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Good to catch up with you. Thanks for popping into Sleuth HQ today. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. Okay. Uh, are, are there any off-limits topics? No, no off-limits. No off-limits No topics. off-limits, but... I won't answer some questions because you have to say some juicy bits for the book. Fair point. Yeah. Have you got an author for the book, by the way? Not yet. Not yet. I haven't decided whether I'm actually doing the book or not, but we'll just... Get we'll a ghostwriter. It's whatever it Oh, does. gee, do you know anyone? Uh, <laughs> I could put you in touch with a couple of people. Okay. Uh, this year, as you will know, being a fine student of the sport, is the 50th anniversary of factory involvement of Holden at Bathurst. And you've had a long, long Holden career. It's still yeah, going. 21 years of it. Yeah. You are the man with more championship starts in Holden than... Anybody? That's yeah. a record that no one's going to beat anytime soon. Yeah, so who's second? Uh, the length of the straight. Really? I haven't even gone and done the numbers because no one's close. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Well, you learn something new every you day do. on the Sleuth Podcast. Go. I wanted to start, let's talk about your factory history because it's it's long and significant. But when you first turned up in a red suit, yep. it wasn't your normal coloured suit, was it? No, it was just for two races in 2006. Hmm. So, um, Rick, Kelly, and I were at HSV dealer team, and we were going pretty well. I think we were first and second in the championship, or somewhere up near the front, going into the Enduros. And Tom, Walkinshaw, and Craig Wilson, and those guys at Holden Motorsport wanted to mitigate the risk, because this was back in the day where you could still team up Mm. your two primary drivers in the one car. So they didn't want Rick and I in the same car and then both DNF and, and lose championship points. So um, rather than split us up and keep us in the same team, they split us up and put us in separate teams. So Rick stayed at um, dealer team, which was owned by the Kellys. Mm, so common equipment provider yeah, was yeah, Rocket yeah. Trail Racing. Same cars, same equipment. It's just painted differently with different personnel. So I became red for, for two races, Sandown and, and Bathurst. At the time, in a former life, I was 
you know, Holden PR mode at the time. Well, it's not really a former life. It was just what you're doing in the years before. Former life That's good. sort of That's talks good. about. It makes it sound like I've had two lives. It's like the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah. deeper meaning. Come back and haunt you. Yeah. Um, that final structure of who went where in that driver swap scenario wasn't. That was the final version. Yeah, there were a few earlier per- prior versions because I recall, I recall writing a press release that had the, the following combinations and tell me if this is right or wrong or if this came across your desk at the time. Scaping car two with Ryan Briscoe. You stay in your 16 toll car with Jim Richards. That would have been pretty good to have mm. JR drive with you. Mm. Delberto and Trapp drive the second red car and the Kellys drive the toll car that they ultimately did drive. Yeah. Is that a version that ever crossed your path? No, didn't see that. Hmm. It would have been cool having Richo, though. Yeah. I wouldn't have said no to that. No way. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I'm a big fan of Jim's. So um, having him in the same car would have been cool. We ended up in the same team at Team Red, but not in the same car. Yeah, so there you go. That's I a press release that, that is somewhere in the oh, files mate, and the, the name's got changed. There's a lot of those press releases getting around that never saw the light of day. And that's why we're here to do podcasts <laughs> to talk about them. Um, the the obvious thing is that car, that 06 Sandown mm-hmm. Bathurst HRT car. It was the last of the VZ mm-hmm. Commodores before we went to VE. And we've talked off this podcast before um, about how fast that car was. Is yep. that the car that got away from – should have won two races in a row, oh, really. We should have lapped them in those two races. Um, car was so good. Um but what made it so good? I'm not what? sure why it was that much better than we just had it right for those two races. I mean, um, we had pretty good engineering arsenal. So it wasn't just me that went to HRT and put on the red gear. Matty Nilsson, who was my engineer at dealer team, came with me. So we had two lead engineers with two lead drivers. We had Dave Swenson, who was Scafie's regular engineer, and Teco, Matty Nilsson, who was my regular engineer, both engineering that number two HRT car, and then you had Scafie and I driving it. And I think both of us probably pretty technical as far as how we go about our businesses, understanding how the car works and all the rest of it. So between the four of us, and our, um, Richard Holloway or Krusty was there as well as the engineering leader for the for the group. So you've got three guys from an engineering perspective that are probably amongst the best three engineers in pit lane. Two guys that could drive half all right. Yeah, not so bad. In a, in a HRT car. So um, as far as a package goes, it was a strong package. And I remember we did. I did a test, one of the, the, the pre-enduro test um, that we all still do today. I did it in the red car, obviously, as a lead up to, to Sandown and um, tested at Winton and the thing was a rocket ship and then went to Sandown and it was unbelievably fast. I double stinted. At the start of the race, because the safety car fell, you know, I wasn't meant to, but the safety car fell in a particular mm, way, I remember, and, yeah. and um, I double stinted, and I got out of the car, and um, I think you'd led virtually. I led all I, but I the stuffed, first ten laps that you buggered the start. No, nah, I stuffed the start up because they ran a different clutch in that car. I was going to ask you what the difference was between yeah, the it was red only car the clutch. It was only the clutch. It was the that we used to run an AP clutch in the in the HSV dealer team car with a particular master cylinder size to suit that clutch. And then in the HRT car, they ran an Alcon clutch with the master cylinder size to suit that. I don't know why that was the case. Um, so I stuffed the start, uh, dropped back to about fifth. And it took me about five laps to get back to the lead. And then it was Jamie in the 888 car, eight Falcon, a better electrical car that was second. And I just passed him and drove away. And I sort of knew at that stage, oh, Jesus, mm, we're in for a half, half a chance. So I, I pulled like a five or six second gap and then just started saving fuel and thing was awesome so i remember i got out of the car it was about a lap 107 and uh just you know sort of said to teco how are we looking we're looking all right and he goes yeah mate no dramas it's good so i went and got changed came back and 
the front end had fallen out of it and that was the end of that. So the boys fixed it. We traced back to what happened. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't and meant to be. What happened? Oh, there was some clevises. So there was something going on with uprights in the lead-up to, to the actual race through practice and qualifying and there was some drama with... By a, a problem, you mean? Like yeah, a, I don't know what it was. A... I think it was bearing drag or knockoff or something like that. So, you know, you always... The amount of preload you have on the front bearings in the upright always determines... A lot of preload means a lot of drag, which means, but it doesn't have a lot of brake knockoff because the you know the, the bearing doesn't move around a lot. Or, and then we had, and there was another setup with low bearing drag, so low preload but high knockoff. And I can't remember which way around it was what happened, but we ended up changing uprights, and the cle- steering clevis that bolted to the front of the upright wasn't Loctited or it wasn't subassembled properly, and and it lasted a hundred and. 12 laps, but not 161 mm. at Sandown. But mm. that's the way it goes. And then we rolled to Bathurst, and in between, Peter Brock hits a tree mm. in WA, and mm. the world as we knew it in Australian motor racing stopped and was the focus of the sporting and national yeah. landscape there for a while. Steve Irwin, that was all happening yep. around that time as well. So there was enough going on in the lead-up to that yeah. year's Bathurst. But then you're in the factory car that's kind of the oh, – it's that, the natural link to that Brock. That Brock's spiritual car, the lead yeah. HRT car, absolutely. So, you know, we had the – the black uh, Holden logo on the front of the car in, in paying respect to Peter and on the front row of the grid. I mean, I remember in practice, thing was so fast. Like, um, Scafi on Friday did a 8-1 or something to be fastest. And then um, and then the next day, I, and Scafi used green tyre to do that 8-1 at the end of practice on on, on thir- uh, Thursday? Thursday. And... Um, and we were P1, and I think P2 was an 8.9, so we were eight tenths faster than anyone else. And then we put those tyres on for me in the co-driver session because I was li- nominated you, as the you co-driver. You were the co-driver, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I did a 7.3, and at that point it was one – well, it was stayed. It was 1.4 seconds faster than the next co-driver, which was Will Davison and DJ Ucka. So um, I sort of said to Scafie after doing a 7.3 um, – Mate, if this thing, if you can't do a six in this thing, there's something seriously wrong with you. Just half winding him up a little bit. Because um, that's yeah, what yeah, you do. That never happens. That's what you do. And um, and the thing was just a rocket ship. So we're on, and, you know, it's Scafie went, put it on pole. And um, and yeah, didn't even get 50 metres up the road. Early shower. Well, I don't even, I mean, because, you know, there's so much going on on the pre grid and, and there was a fair bit going on, obviously, around. Um, what had happened with Peter and with Holden and all the rest of it. We were, we were so busy around the whole start of the, the race and actually remember we were going into the track, you know, first thing in the morning and Scafie and I are in the car and Scafie super philosophical as he is. He's, oh, what's today going to bring us, GT? What's today going to bring us? And I clearly remember that. I don't know why. And um, I said, I don't know, mate. We'll just go as hard as we can and whatever happens, happens, you know. How do you answer that? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, look, it didn't bring us much. So, yeah, we were just so busy with the whole Brock thing. I didn't even get – I got back to the garage and the race has already started and mm. I'm just pulling on my headset and I could just hear clutch, clutch, dramas and, and you know, the whole garage is going apeshit. And um, and then I look up on the screen and I see that the front's wiped out of it. He's in the wall and Jack had cleaned him up from behind. It wasn't Jack's fault. I mean, mm. getting back and looking at the clutch, there was no chance he was ever going to make it past the, the – um, up through the dipper, oh, through the cutting. Sorry, the, the clutch was she was hammered. So there was no thought in the lead up there that that was a weak point. That was an issue. That was a drama that we had to keep no. an eye on. It just 
No. There you go. No, just one of those things. Just, mm. just when it's your day, it's your day up there. And I've heard that a few times. When it's not, it's not. And clearly, it wasn't our day. And you know, you know, you know, we were in the we were what we you know refer to as Brock's spiritual car, as in the factory HRT car. And the guy that goes on to win it was Craig Lowndes, and mm. you know, Brock's heir apparent. So you know, it happened to be Craig's day. And the irony of moving you cars, yeah, no, it to protect me. your championship, nah, killed smashed, it. smashed me. Yeah, so it could really it. cost me. I mean, you know, a poor finish at um, at uh, Sandown. And, and what hurt you at Sandown was I think that all every car was running at the end of the race, and only one of them, a, yeah, a yeah, Tasman nah. car, hadn't done enough laps to be we qualified. Finished, so you couldn't nowhere. even beat the six or seven or eight DNFs nah, because we were they, there weren't any. So obviously, a poor finish at Sandown, DNF at Bathurst. Um, like the plan worked as far as mitigating the risk, but it just didn't work for me. Just yeah, the other bloke <laughs> yeah. mitigate risk. He got two seconds. So I don't even, where'd I finish in the championship in two thousand six? No, where that matters. It did not, doesn't matter unless yeah, it's first. It's it doesn't not on the matter. radar. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you, it, it works out the next year. The Tull HSV dealer mm-hmm. team 07. Mm-hmm. Rick wins the championship 06. You mm-hmm. win in 07. Mm-hmm. We'll have a chat about that and that car a little bit later on. How did the the run for you to? I mean, obviously that wasn't the factory Holden team. It no. didn't have the HRT. Banner, we were we were Toro. We were Toro Rosso. You were to- <laughs> The Toro Rosso of, to Red Bull of HRT to HSV. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah. You used that before? Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's, it's funny. Like it. We catch up every now and then, all the HSV dealer team guys, and we, we'll refer to ourselves as the Toro Rosso of the time. <laughs> I like it. That's good. I think Toro Rosso just started then, around uh, then. Yeah, that's true. Actually, they did. They started in 06 because Todd and I went to Bahrain that's to race in the Chevy Lumina 1 Make Series against all the crazy locals over there. That's right. Because Tom was involved with that. And Toro Rosso just started. I remember the big Toro Rosso logo and the yeah. big bull on the side of the car. Oh, that's cool. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, story. we digress. We digress. We can do a Toro Rosso another time. Um, See, I can talk about Red Bull stuff now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Fits in well. Fits in well. Um, the, the the championship is, yeah, there's Holden backing through there, but you're not yeah. in the factory car. Yeah. For 08, you are in the factory car yes. as the reigning champion, the number one comes across. When do the wheels get rolling and how does it all first get presented to you that you might be on the move within the organisation to a, a factory car? Uh, the Monday, uh, no, the Tuesday after the Phillip Island finished. No mention before? No. So we, No clue? No. Um, I, no, not from memory. Um, we did the, obviously the championship finished on the Sunday at Phillip Island. We do the gala awards dinner Monday night at Melbourne at Crown. Good hangover afterwards. Serious hangover. Nice. Both Monday morning and Tuesday. Good man. Backed it up. Uh, and then um, and then it was actually on Monday that Craig Wilson said, oh, Tom and I want to have a meeting with you on Tuesday. And you're thinking... So I'm like, hey, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I what? just won. Yeah, I don't whatever. know. Whatever. Yeah, bonus. Are we talking about a bonus? <laughs> so now I was like, yep, whatever, no problems. Um, rolled into Clayton. All the paperwork's all laid out. This is what's happening. Yep. Okay. Right. I will do that. So, I mean, I had some questions. Oh, well, what's that mean personnel-wise? Um, you know, obviously, I'd been working with Teco for a bit. No, nah, Teco's coming with you, and Rob Crawford's going across as well to manage the team. So, um, it wasn't great look for Toro Rosso to be beating the main team, mm. and that's effectively what was going on at that period. Rick and I, in 06, won a huge amount of races, rounds. Rick won the championship. Same again happened in, in 07, and from a Holden perspective, you needed – the red cars to be doing that, not the HSV cars. So Tom understood that, so he wanted to rejig the the business so that um, we could try and achieve that. 
Talk to me about the prestige of being a factory driver. So you've been a Holden supported driver in the time at mm-hmm. GRM and doing the Monaro and mm-hmm. doing other bits and pieces. But uh, what are the what are the things that people have got right about being a factory driver, or that their impressions of being wrong? There's clearly some major advantages in terms of resource and like, but there's comes the other side of it where there's politics, there's more pressure, there's more everything. Give, oh, there's me, give me a take of both. Clearly of more pressure. Clearly much more pressure. I mean, we. I mean, you look back now, and Rick and I had the best of both worlds in 06 and 07 because we had the same cars, the same equipment, but we, there were nowhere near the the same external corporate pressure from a major manufacturer. I mean, we were HSV, but we weren't Holden, uh, and also from a fan perspective as well. We, you know, they're not the factory Holden car is is a big deal. Uh, and you look back and go, oh, we probably had the best of both worlds. We had had all the gear but didn't have the, the pressure to go with it. And you understood that very much in 08 when I went to, to HSV, uh, to HRT. And I probably saw a little bit that at those two races I did in 06 uh, for driving for HRT, particularly at Bathurst, just the pressure around a factory Holden driver at Bathurst. So, um, so it's probably more the pressure. And then you probably then start putting a bit more pressure on yourself, realising, oh, you know, this is this is a big deal. I'm driving a factory Holden car. Um, it's got number one on the side of it. Um, Tom's put me here to win races as, as the Holden Racing Team now, so there's a bit of pressure around all that. So, yeah, look, there's, um, there was pressure for sure. And that's probably the thing that stood out. I mean, we still had the same equipment, the same same a lot of the same people around the organization were around me so not a lot was different but just the expectation was higher and you're, you're the reigning champion so the expectation that comes brings with that too a little bit when you yeah. got that number one it's like a bit of yep. a moving target on your car um oh wait i look back on it as a year for you in your first full-time factory year as that's a championship that clearly got away yeah definitely 100 that first again yeah cost us yeah mm. um on pole, so that was cool. Um, I stuffed the start, so um, it's a bit of a drama going on there with HRT cars yeah, and it was, starts. It wasn't, it was, wasn't, say, it, wasn't a clutch thing. It was just operator error. Probably more freaking out and shitting myself. Don't don't mess the start up. Don't mess the start up. Don't mess the start and up. What do you do? Spend the whole time trying not to mess the start up, and you mess the start up. Yeah. So um, learned a lesson there. Uh, but anyway, got going again, and by the end of that first fuel stint. Uh, was back inside the top three or four, and um, from and the back because you were all over. Yeah, back. I think I wasn't all the way. Oh, back. Nearly, it was nearly. probably twentieth or something like that. But but the field was probably not. And then, again, this is pre um, the pre splitting, uh, splitting the drivers. Yep. So the second half of the field is much much weaker than the front half of the field, which um, is why that rule was brought in in 09 or, or ten. So um, got through the majority of the field pretty easily, to be honest, um, and then picked our way through and got, I think we're back inside, the, yeah, like I said, the top four by the end of the first field stint, which was pre-E85, I think, was it? Year before, yeah. So yeah, we were still doing long yeah. long stints, yeah. 30, 32, 33 lap stints at that stage, so had a bit of time to get us back. Got back towards the front, um, but then, yeah, Scafi later in the race, I think it was about the third or fourth stint, just made a small mistake going down to Forest Elbow, locked a front. And ran wide and, and clipped the wall, and um, yeah, that put us out in any serious. I don't know if we do we finish the race. Patched it up and got going. Eleventh yeah. or a lap. Down yeah, so there that cost us. I mean, Actually, I was, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the sheet. That's why yeah, I printed okay. it out twelfth. Okay. I want to get these things right. So, like I said, if you're not on the podium, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So um, I was leading the championship going into that weekend, mm. and then that cost us to lead the championship 
because um, what well, was 08, yeah, so Jamie and Craig won. Mm. Uh, Jamie got a heap of points. And, and when Mark ended up in the wall, he was running with Jamie, who ended up that car. Yeah, it was just in race. front of him. Yeah. Uh, Scafie was just in front of him. So, um, But, you know, we've all made mistakes at Bathurst as part of the game. That's true. That's true. Um, would we class your Monaro 24 hours as factory cars? They're run by yep. GRM, but they're funded by Holden, so I'd yep. say that they are. Yeah, they were. Um our fans love hearing about, particularly the yellow Monaro. <laughs> yeah. We've talked to uh, Nathan Pretty in print this year. We talked yeah. to Cam McConville on the podcast. Yeah. When I say Monaro, your eyes have lit up and yeah. you're smiling. Tell me about your Monaro experiences. Um, oh, look, the car, the, the program itself for me was bittersweet because Leanne lost her Konica Series drive so that the team could focus on yeah. the Monaro program. So she had a... Uh, a deal with GRM in a Valvoline car to run the Konica series, um, but Gary parked that because he wanted to focus on the on the um, Monaro program. So it was bittersweet for me because I was involved with the Monaro program from the very beginning. But it was looking back now, bittersweet because she didn't get to go on and do what she was promised to get to do. But the car, oh, car was mega. Um, everyone sort of looks at, but it's funny because everyone thinks about this car as some sort of, sort of supersonic rocket ship that <laughs> should do. have done a minute 50 laps around Bathurst <laughs> and we were sandbagging and, and holding back and all the rest of it. And true, we were sandbagging a little bit, but the car was never going to go much faster than a two minute 10 around Bathurst because it just wasn't built that way. Um, it was built to go up the hill, not down the hill. Um, so it had a huge amount of torque. Um, it was a heavy car. It was heavier than a supercar. It was heavier than a supercar. It was yeah. heavier than a supercar, even though it had the aluminium engine in it. Um, so I do remember that. Um, so we had to manage the brakes because it was only running supercar brakes. Um, we had to manage quite a few things in the car. It, um, so whilst we were sort of cruising to a degree, it was because we sort of had to cruise. The fuel economy, a seven-liter engine, <laughs> the fuel economy wasn't the greatest. So we had to we had to manage that. Um, there was a couple of we had a, particularly in the first year we had some problems with the one of the serpentine belts on the front of the engine the big run that runs the water pump the power steering pump kept flicking off at at coming down Conrod so um, we'd we'd have if you if you kept it more than about fifty percent throttle it'd get some sort of harmonic in the belt and it'd just flick it off coming down the hill so you basically had to turn the engine off because you had no oil pressure you had to turn the engine off. Hustle with that, which meant you had no power steering or anything. You had to then manhandle with with the engine off, manhandle it through the the chicane, getting into into the pits. And we were the first garage in the old pit garage. We still had the yeah, yeah it was the old had, yeah, the old we pit structure there. So we were the first garage, so you could just roll it in, and then the boys had put another belt on it, and away we go. And in the by the by the second or third time we did that, we actually because the car still had the standard glove box. Next oh. year, so we had one of those belts in the glove box with us, <laughs> so we could uh, we could do it. If it happened to us up the top, we could put the belt on and keep going. Nathan Pretty still says he saved you all to win Nathan that first Pretty race. Talks a lot of shit. <laughs> he nearly cost us the race. <laughs> no, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but um, he, he dinged into a slow car at the chase yeah, yeah, at three yeah, or four yeah, in the some, morning while everyone else was asleep. BM, it was a BMW Super Tourist, so we went up. There was a Nath, Cam, Richo, and myself as the drivers. And back then, Jim Richards had two motorhomes that he used to lease out. So he brought them back from the States and he used to lease them out to all these film studios and all the rest of it. So we ended up with this deal that we got Richo's two motorhomes. So we drove them up. Nath drove one up and Steve drove the other up. So we all drove up sort of um, National Lampoon style to Bathurst. <laughs> and Richo and I were sleeping in one motorhome and Nath and Cam were sleeping in the other motorhome and it was set up around the driving roster. So there always had to be a driver in the car 
the next driver in the roster waiting in the bunker and then the other two dudes were asleep in separate motorhomes um, to, um, you know, rest up mm. through the Don't night. want to have to hear one another snore. Well, no, because Nathan can snore pretty loudly as well. So um, Nath, it was Nath's job to come in and wake me up. So he comes in and wakes me up and he gets out of the car and he goes, time to get up, time to get up, it's your stint, it's your stint. You didn't sleep that well anyway in the middle of the race, but yeah, yeah, right, right, I got up. And he goes, oh, look, just, just one thing. He goes, I just scratched it a little bit, but it's not a problem. It's all okay. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, no worries, don't worry about it. It happens, mate, don't worry about it. Yeah, but it's not a problem. And he kept going on about it. Like, yeah, okay. And it was because it was the driver's side, it was on the other side. So you didn't, you couldn't see it when the car went past on pit straight. So it, the first time I saw it was when um, Cam, I think, was coming in to to come in and I was driver change standing out in pit lane. And the thing's bent like a banana. It was caved in. I'm going, Jesus, does the door even work? It was that badly bent. But the door still worked and uh, and that was it. So um, that was one of the dramas we had. Uh, actually, to give Nate some credit, very, very tiny little bit of credit, uh, he used his because he got stuck in the sand trap, yeah. which he didn't tell us till later. And um, <laughs> after the race, oh, yeah, it was after yeah. the race. And um, and he had to, he had to get out because it wouldn't select gear because it was a sequential box, a Hollinger sequential box. When we were still using H pattern boxes in the supercar, and he used his brain because it wouldn't select a gear. So he had to get out and he rocked it while it was still in the gravel trap and, and got it to select a gear, and then drove it out and drove it back to the pits. So he did use his brain a little bit in that race to give Nate some credit. <laughs> Some, just but it was it was an awesome program, and then the second year, obviously, we went back with two cars, and um, and uh, we had a bit of a race at the end, Murph and I. I was going to talk about that. That that's one that's overlooked in the Bathurst history books because so much focus goes on October, mm. and rightly so. Mm. It's the race that made yeah. that place famous. The twelve hours got its own history yep, development, and, and those yep. and those twenty four hour races. But that finish in late 03, that infamous radio call where I think Gary Rogers, with what six minutes to go or something, Seven says. Minutes. You're good to go and race, yeah. and I think it's you or Murphy right, who replies, you what? It was Murphy. What? It was well, Murphy, Because he was leading. He thought he was home safe. Um, so it goes back a little bit before that. So the yellow car, which the original guys, we were, we were leading the race because uh, we ended up about half a minute apart off strategy depending on which way the pit stops fell through the race. And, um, and we were leading, and I was in the car, and they kept calling me up and saying, the diff's getting hot. So I because I knew the car and I knew the program. I was flicking through the dash, checking the diff, diff temperature. Diff doesn't look hot to me, boys. It's all good. Kept going, kept going. They kept wanting me to come in. Anyway, I ended up coming in and they topped the diff up and miraculously the red car got in front. And then they had about a half a minute lead and I was dark. I was so dark because we didn't need to do that pit stop. I was so dark. So you, you reckon you got stage managed? We got, we got repositioned for sure. And, um, and I was dark. So I... Um, I started. We weren't. We were meant to be driving to a lap time number, and I just started, man, four or five seconds lap faster than this lap time number because I was like, "Well, I'm going to catch this dude," and it, it, so obviously that was a risk because it starts putting both cars under pressure. And you look back now. I was only young then, so I look back now and understand that you wouldn't do it today. I probably would. You would, yeah. <laughs> but I understand the teams um, worry about me putting pressure on Murph to their Murph starting to speed up and all the rest of it. So I understand that. So in the end, they radioed me and they said, Murph's going to wait for you. So like, well, that's strange. Okay. So Murph, we ended up, you know, line astern. And then, and then yeah, it was seven minutes to go. Gary gets on the radio and says, well, you're free to race. 
So that was, I mean. So suddenly he, he was your favourite person. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I think he probably understood where I came from in that scenario. So had you been keying back saying how unfair it was and how oh, annoying, or were you just I responding lap in time, lap time? That's I all think you the lap time to do. was telling the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so in the end, <laughs> we um, we had seven minutes of going for it. And there's, you know, our cars were, were fine. There was no problem with them. So we were, you know, punching in lap times that were quicker than what we qualified at. And all these, all these other cars around the track. They're steaming crap they're, boxes they're rolling around everywhere. Stuffed. They're <laughs> stuffed. They're literally skull dragging them to the le- to the end of twenty four hours. And Murph and I go maniacs like a couple of teenagers that have stolen a couple of Monaros. So um, there was a couple of opportunities that I could have got him. I wasn't going to risk. No way was I going to risk um, the cars. But there was one opportunity at the end of Mountain Straight where I was like, right, it's happening. It's going to happen this lap. I'm sending it. And and then the team got on the radio and it was Will Power in Meher Al Gadri's Porsche. That's right. Had stopped, um, so he couldn't skull drag it far enough. At it the stopped cutting. at the cutting, yeah. which was just around the corner. And the teams just got on the radio because obviously all the cameras are focused on what Murph and I are doing. Uh, um, the teams get on the radio, both cars, and just yell, "Driver at the cutting, driver at the cutting!" And I just like aborted straight away. I didn't know what was going on. Radios weren't that good back then, and um, and I aborted, and that was it. That was my only opportunity. Murph had me covered for the rest of it. So in the end, we finished one two. Brock got a win. Um, we all had a VB afterwards. Brock, Even Brock did Brock too. had a VB. Yeah, I mean, I listened to Cam's chat that you had with him about that, and yeah, Brock had more than one VB actually. So that was cool. I mean, I, there's not many drivers that can say they had a had a had a beer with Brock after winning at Bathurst. So that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <clears throat> mm. Definitely very cool. He had a lot of herbal tea after yeah. that as well. <laughs> <laughs> we um we love talking on this podcast um about the things that probably are far enough ago that we can talk about now mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Along the way, you had a, a great long period there with GRM that we've yep. just covered off with the Monaro, and yep. we probably won't get a chance to go right into the GRM story here the whole way. Yep. Obviously, there's been two periods there, and then mm-hmm. a big Clayton period in the middle there. Mm-hmm. But am I right in remembering that there were some pretty heavy overtures for you in your GRM time, when the competitiveness of that team had slipped away from mm-hmm. contending for the title and winning Bathurst, and it got a bit tougher there for a while, that the team dynamic in Adelaide had a red-hot crack. Yep. At you. Yep, 100%. So it was a year prior. So I signed, I had a two year deal that finished at the end of 04, which was eventually when I left the team. But at the end of 02, um, 02, two, 03, no, when, it would have been. Uh, well, well, they were setting up for 2003. That was yeah, their first year. so it was, um, they wanted me to drive there in 2004. So they wanted me to drive there, which effectively meant that I would have had to somehow break contract to GRM. And it, yeah, there was a lot of lot going on over that summer with lawyers and barristers and all sorts of stuff, reading contracts. Trying to find a little Trying goal. to understand. So you were keen to go? I was. Or just exploring it? I options. was exploring it. They were very ambitious, very, very ambitious. They had a lot. And look, to be honest, you look at their cars through that first year, by the end of the year, their cars were very, very competitive. Um, and they had some people there that were very smart that I'd, I'd known in the past, and they were very ambitious. Um, so they're having a red-hot crack, and um, and I guess it probably plays to the driver's ego a little bit that these teams so desperate to get you on their books that, you know, well, I should, probably should investigate whether that's something I should look at. Um, but in the end, um, I didn't. I just felt that it wasn't the right way to finish uh, that period at GRM, given that Gary had given my start in the career, in my career. 
um, and there was some risk around the legalities of it all. So we didn't, I didn't get to any point where it was decided it was worth pursuing, other than you know legal advice. Legal advice was, yeah, it could be done, but it's probably a little bit murky. Mm. Are we talking big telephone numbers to try to convince oh, the numbers? You to do it? The numbers were bigger than what Gary was yeah. paying. Yeah. So, um, but it wasn't about that. Then it was about trying to find a car that was competitive because uh, GRM's cars, you know, had fallen away a little bit. Um, and that was probably on the back of the Monaro program, you know, focus. That probably focus had probably diluted a little bit. So, um, so it was like, yeah, okay, what else is out there? And, you know, I was coming to the end of, I mean, I was seven years at GRM the first time around. And how long had your deals been in the middle there? Where was the previous contract expiration? Oh, I can't remember. It was, I think that last year was two years. The last contract was two years, I think. So it was 03 for the 03, 04 period. So. But there was no look to go at the end of the previous one? No. No, no. At that stage, I still felt a, a large degree of loyalty to Gary um, and the team. And we were probably, you know, even to it, to the – Give the team some credit. Even O three and O four, we you know the performances started to come back a little bit, but I felt I you know I'd done my time, so it was time to go and do something else. Well, that was a period I think there was the short lived X bar car. Didn't you have a car with yeah. two X four uh, bars through car, the the middle there just for I something think, different? I think it was it was O four. It was a VY. Yeah, it was, it, was a, yeah. it was a car they built. Didn't paint it, so it was they paint didn't paint it because they didn't want any weight. In it, so you had to have a tetanus shot every time you drove it because it rusted. The guys, the boys working on it, hated it because any time it rained, it just rusted. <laughs> so, and it had this X bar in it, which which we should point out. So the the, so Larry, the Larry bar, bar, which was the horizontal bar that came in three or four years before that, yep. um, and everyone went and put one in their cars. Yes, but GRM went to the point of putting in one going the other way, so it was an X bar to try yep. to look through at the front window. So I think this was one of the the second VY in late two thousand three for the Enduros. I yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was hard to see out of. There was a bar in front of you, <laughs> but you sort of figured it out and, and saw where it was going. And that car was fast. I think in 03, we did we set that record in 03? at Bathurst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that because Gary. I think we were out of the race because I, mean, I was sharing the car with Jamie that year. And he clipped the wall, Forest Elbow as well, and we were we were laps behind and car was going really well. Boys fixed it and we're going fast. Gary says, come in. Only time Gary's ever spoken to me on the radio. Come in and put a new set of tyres on. We're going to set the lap record. And I knew the car felt strong. So, nah, bugger that. I'll just do it now. <laughs> so I just punched a lap and we set the lap record. I should have actually come in and grabbed some tyres because the lap would have been even faster. It may have stood for longer. Oh, ego, race yeah. drivers. Young, young drivers, records. hey, young drivers. Oh, back in the day. Back in the day. Back in the day. Uh, we talked about the team dynamic possibility. Was mm. there anywhere else? I mean, clearly you ended up at the best place you could have yep. gone at Clayton for 2005 with yep. the dealer team and a, a long decade, long mm-hmm. period there. Am I right in thinking there was another Holden home that you might have had a look at in that period that's not been really talked about too much? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of there was a couple of red options and a, and couple, a blue. Of, couple of blue options. In the various times along the way, uh, the the other red option was to go to Paul Morris's, mm. which uh, I don't think really anyone's no. So I went up about. there. So tell us more. I went up there and had a look around, um, and this was all through uh, Simon McNamara. He uh, this is before the the Clayton opportunity came up. So this is for at the end of '04 going into '05, and Simon um, and Holden wanted me to know that there were other options in the Holden 
in um, fraternity, if you like, other than Clayton or other than GRM or. So Morris's, um, you know, Paul Sepernich was still there at that stage, and and you know they were doing some pretty cool things, and they were looking to expand on a serious level. So I went up to the dudes, and and I knew Paul anyway, so I went up to the dudes and, and had a look around their workshop and their facilities. Um, and then there was another one to go to DJR. Mm. Um, so it was actually funny. I, I was listening to your pod with Stevie J, and you were trying to stir up some shit, saying that Stevie and I had this big altercation at Sandown. You did. Well, we did. It didn't last for long because no, you basically didn't. kicked him out of the garage. Yeah, I did because we had a blue because um, we were both young guys having a crack. And yeah, I was trying to stir up a little. Yeah, bit. yeah. Was, but that's what we do. Yeah, that's what we but do. But our punters don't realise that that Thursday I was in their workshop looking around. Hey, now <laughs> it's getting good. <laughs> so that didn't happen. Um, uh, uh, so just rewind back. Why did, did the Morris thing go anywhere? No, the Morris thing didn't go anywhere because obviously Clayton was ticking along in the background, um, and DJR um, they got me up to have a look. Steve Chalker was involved at that stage, and I knew Steve through the CUB sponsorship. I had some VB sponsorship back in the day, so he asked me to go up and have a look. So um, yeah, it was up out there having Dick and Steve were showing me around their workshop. Steve Chalker mm. and Dick Johnson were showing me around their workshop. Um, so yeah, that was that was that was. So it's funny because you sort of look now, and you know, and actually Crusoe and I were talking about this when we were doing some RPM stuff. Um, fans and punters are so passionate about our sport; mm. they don't realise that drivers and teams generally what happens on Sunday finishes Sunday night, and then business starts Monday. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background that people talk a lot. Monday to Friday, nine to five in the business side of the world. And then we stop all that, go racing again on the weekend and rivalries renew. So it was funny. When I was, she made me laugh when you said that stuff with Stevie J trying to dig up some dirt because I knew it was literally that following Thursday I was in their workshop. And, yeah, Steve and I had a blue on Sunday Arvo, but it was fine. <laughs> up there talking business that week. Deals a deal. And that probably is a nice segue into another little topic that the – Hold and faith will be – we have talked about this before, your early tests as a young bloke, but I wanted to zero in on your drive for – you had a DJR test yep. at, at Malala. I think it was John Bowes' car, yep. 97? Yep. Formula Ford. Formula Ford, the year I was doing Formula Ford. Tell me about it. So that was actually the – that that was the um, – well, it was publicly, it was the first supercar I ever drove. But not privately. But privately, I tested – so the back then the Barbagello or Wanneroo round and the Malala round were back to back. So the teams used to race in Perth on Sunday, load up, and then go straight to Adelaide and race the following weekend. So D, um, through John Bauer, uh, through some shell sponsorship that I had in Formula Ford, um, JB organised me to get a test in the DJR car at Malala on the Monday after. I think they were doing a Dunlop tyre test or something like that because it was still open tyres back then. And this is. Pass on a word, have a drive, no promises, don't no, have to no, pay. No, promises, Nothing, no, no promises, no pay, drive. just come and have a drive. I was leading the Formula Ford Championship at that stage, so it was a good Ford story. Um, and so, so I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is, this is really cool. Obviously, you need to look at what the next step is after Formula Ford. So um, in the lead up to that, um, there was a team in Perth owned by Claude Georgie who used to buy ex-Glen Seaton Falcons. And the guy that was driving for Claude was a guy named Alan McCarthy, who um, was ironically my very first ever sponsor in go karts. <laughs> he gave me fifty more. Gave me fifty bucks, and so I still got the check. Um, 
he had a panel shop and he was a gun steerer in WA. Like he was like as a young kid growing up, all the young, like, oh, Alan McCarthy, he's awesome. So Macca was driving Claude's car uh, at the Perth round and on the Monday they, they said he organised that I could do 20 laps in the in the ex Glen Seaton car. So that was the first time I ever drove a supercar was 97 Monday after the Perth round. Um, so, yeah, I drove it. They had all the roll bars disconnected because it was wet that weekend at Perth and the thing was horrible. It's like, terrible. this is terrible. If this is what these things are like, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm <laughs> that interested. And then I, they did 10 laps. They could see that I could drive half all right, so they connected the roll bars and they was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, no, it goes all right now. He's all right. <laughs> so um, so these things are okay. So that I did 20 laps and then I went to – did the Formula Ford race at Malala the following weekend and then jumped in the DJR car and I only got about 10 laps because it started to rain. So, which was a bit of a shame, but um, yeah. And then I remember afterwards, and my old man, because my old man, we were Ford family growing up. And my old man was a big Dick Johnson fan, so you know what they say, big fan of Dick. And um, <laughs> do they? Yeah, well, that's what they say apparently. And um, so um, my old man's running around like a. So he's there. Oh, full. So tourist. you could not get? Did you tell him not to come? Full tourist. Really? Around, his camera and all the rest of it. But I've got we got some really cool photos, and it's, and looking back at that then now would have been that would have been a big deal for my old man. Um, you know, his boy driving his idol's car effectively. So that was pretty cool for him to be there for that. But as a nineteen-year-old kid, you're just cringing with just like oh how embarrassing. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, I only got 10 laps. And But at the end of the day, Dick said, oh, look, mate, if the media ring you, just tell them whatever you want. It's fine. No problems at all. There's no no They're drama. Trying no trying to, Well, they weren't trying to keep it secret. I think Auto auto Action ran a big story. You went to say fiction then, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, well, it's, it's Auto Fiction. <laughs> auto Action ran a big story um, the following week about, because uh, Steve had a drive of the car as well, Steve Johnson, and he wasn't full-time at that stage. So, um, you know, something about DJR's junior development thing and all the rest of it, and they... And Dick happily spoke about me being part of it. So that was, yeah, that was really cool. Didn't go anywhere after that, though? No, I didn't go anywhere after that days. because, um, you know, they obviously there was Steve Johnson was around the team at that stage. I think Cam McConville might have been still around the team at that stage. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, he was supposed to do the Enduros but wasn't allowed to. Yeah, the so, so they had all these young guys anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, then later that year, as part of winning the Formula Ford test, I got a test in a Formula Holden. Um, so... Eric Pender was the engineer That's right. at, for that team, NRC. NRC. It was Arthur Abraham's mm-hmm. team. And um, he he ran the car that day. So I got a test in the in the Formula Holden car. And and then the, whoever won the Formula Holden championship got a test in the Holden Young Lions supercar. So that was all happening on the same day at Calder. So I'm fanging around the Formula Holden, sort of getting my head around that. And then Jeff Gretsch came down and said, oh, do you want to have a skid in this thing, which was the Holden Young Lions Commodores. Yeah, absolutely. So... Got to drive that. Didn't have power steering, so that was I was like, oh geez, they like the Falcons better. They got power <laughs> steering. Um, so yeah, but it was cool. So Scotty Dixon was there testing the Young Lions car, uh, and then I got I got fifteen twenty laps around Calder in it as well, which was cool. So that was your first sample of a Clayton Commodore. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, Jeff was there, Rob Crawford was there, all these guys that I didn't know at the time that I ended up doing a lot with later. Um, so it's funny because that day Eric Pender was there, who's still my engineer now in the Audi when we do the GT racing. So um, very, very, very good friend of mine now. Um, and yeah, Jeffro and Rob Crawford and and all those guys that you know, big part of my life later. Mm, small world, mm. which had been I think that was Brock's 
car previously prior to yeah, being the Young that. Lions car. Yeah, yeah I didn't so, know that. So there you so go. Yeah, you ended up in a, a factory car before mm-hmm. you ended up in a factory car. Um, we talked at the start of the pot about the 50th anniversary. Stop trying to look at the questions I'm here. Not, You're reading read upside down. I'm going to take my glasses off so I can't read yeah, them. Yeah, no, no, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Um, one of the things uh, with the factory involvement, and over the years that conjures up the names of Brock and Firth and Bond and all those sorts of guys, in your travels over your career, you would have clearly Brock, we've yep. discussed, but guys like Bondy and the Fox yep. and the factory people over the years, John Harvey, mm-hmm. you would have come across a lot of those guys yep. in your time. Give me your impression as a, as a younger guy, probably before you became part of the Holden factory lineup, but your impressions of what it meant to be, you know, it was HDT in the day and mm. then later HRT, but... Your impressions of all, of all those blokes and that whole factory Holden family is, is, for want of a better term. Yeah, I mean, I even before I started driving at Clayton in the HSV dealer team, I was involved with Holden. Anyway, we were doing drive day programs and stuff like that. Um, and Brock used to come to a lot of those, and and you just saw what he was like. I mean, it's well documented um, how good he is with with people, was with people and and fans and. Just the way his demeanour, he was around people that just you know admired him so much. So, so I learnt a lot from that just being around him. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess when you end up, you know, later I ended up in the in the factory car. You sort of look back and you, oh yeah, Brock, um, um, like I say, Bond, Scaife, Lowndes, um, Thomas Mazira, Alan Grice, uh, Wayne Gardner. Um, yeah. It's a long list with some pretty big names. Big names. And 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 one thing that they were very, very good at, and John Crennan was incredibly good at at Clayton, was all around the facility was an, an, like just a, a massive tribute to the people that have been there before them. So you had this very real understanding of what this team has achieved, the people that achieved it, and what you were part of. So we had a gym at Clayton where all the team trained and it was just full of HRT memorabilia from the 90s and it was cool because you just you go in there and you're training and then there's all this Brock stuff and and um, early lounge stuff and that was good having the early lounge stuff because I was still racing against him so I just I'm going to beat that <laughs> <Yeah>. guy <laughs> every lap in under a minute means every second matters Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint May 17 to 19 Book now a ticket tech. Supercars unforgettable. In the eyes and the minds of punters who uh, and fans of the sport who are external, Bathurst wins are the clear ones that stand mm. out as the memories of certain drivers' careers. But in your factory career, taking those Bathurst wins aside, and we will discuss those, is there a win or two in your time in the in the factory cars that stands out as the one that perhaps Joe Blow or myself or someone don't instantly bring up from the memory file, but one that to use special or important? Uh, there's a, well, there's a couple in the actual HRT car. Um, the um, Phillip Island 500 races, there was two of them, 08, Scafi mm-hmm. and I. Uh, we, we weren't that fast. We qualified 10th and we were sort of struggling in the race and it hosed with rain and poor Scafi had to stay out on slicks for an extra lap. And like it wasn't just drizzling, it was fully hosing down and for us to – for the strategy to work, Scafie had to do one more lap. So to get to his minimum, to get to the to get to the pit yeah. window. So he's clearly saying, "Boys, I want a pit." <laughs> and they're and clearly, they're clearly saying, no. saying, "Just one more lap, Mark. You'll be fine." <laughs> uh, and so we went from the, and then once it cleared up, our car was a rocket ship, and um, ended up having this big battle with Jamie and Craig in the Vodafone Falcon, and 
Jamie made a mistake and we got the win there. And then the following year they had a tyre delaminate and uh, and we, we won that one too. So those two were probably not super heralded but satisfying because they were good team wins. Um, the, the Winning all three races at the Hamilton Street Race mm. uh, in 2008, which was the first, first street race there, that was really cool. Um, but the one that stands out for me that, wasn't in the factory car, but it was in the HSV dealer team car. It was the Perth 2007 weekend pole position and won all three races. Um, you know, given being from Perth to that point in all the Formula Ford and all the supercar racing that I'd done, I'd never actually won a national level race at Perth. So to be on pole and win all three races was, was pretty satisfying. And they were three of about like 15 odd wins that you had in that year mm. that you won the championship. Mm. We've talked before about the car that you would most like to have in yep. the, the garage. Yes, yeah, that one. It's the it's that one. What was so good about that car? Why, why was it know. so good? I don't know. It just guys did a really good job with it. Um, in the in the 18 months prior to the VE racing, Matty Nilsson, who was my engineer, was the project manager of the VE build for, for HSV or H, HRT. Clayton, if well, you like. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, you know, take your pick. Um, so he understood the car very, very, very well, probably because he was the project leader for it. So when we hit the ground with it, we felt like Maddie had a really good understanding of what we needed to do with the car. Um, I was sort of driving pretty well. I was pretty motivated after 2006, winning a lot of races, but not the championship. So that year sort of came came together. And um, it's funny, you know, this current world of parody and, and chat that we have, we were actually told in the first half of that year that we weren't allowed to win by too much. By who? By management at, at Clayton. <laughs> so there was one of those races at Perth. Um, Scafie was second and I was leading and Mark and I were battling pretty hard because he wasn't happy that Toro Rosso were beating the main team. <laughs> and he was second and I was leading. And there was a safety car restart with about 10 laps to go and Scafe was giving me plenty. So I was like, right, I hammer down and we're going here. And so we took off. And I think with 10 laps to go, we finished the race first and second by about 15 or 16 seconds. And so we got into trouble after that <laughs> one. <laughs> no mid-season parody adjustment for the VE Commodore. Though, no, was on, I don't know if there was, was there? No, I know I the Ford so. guys were bluing, so, no, so, you know, it's funny how it just continues on 10 years later. <laughs> it's the other way around. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> no, Nothing's not changed. You've still got not red blood changes. in you, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, we talked about the Bathurst wins, Bathurst 2009, so... The second year in a row that you, you got pole, which I don't think anyone had done since Kevin Bartlett in the Channel 9 Camaro to get oh, back-to-back poles at, at Bathurst. And then a win from pole, which is even better. Mm. But I have this, was it the pass for the lead or the block on Rick Kelly up Mountain Straight late in yep. the race that was at absolute? Yep. This is for Bathurst. It's ruthless. No chance in hell. Yeah, it was pretty ruthless. I think... From memory, Rico, they'd had some drama and the wing was bent. They'd been, they hit a wall or been hit by someone and the rear wing was bent. Yeah, yeah so it correct. had DRS effectively. The <laughs> thing was a rocket ship down the straights. So he was wobbling across the top and he was battling. And, you know, Rico and I, and I are still very, very good friends. And um, he was battling across the top because the thing had no downforce. But, geez. And this is in the 20 laps on the run home. No, I think it was within 10 or 15 to go. So it was, you know, getting, it's pretty, on. It's it's getting on. pretty serious. Yeah. Don't have any friends at that stage no. at Bathurst. Um, and he made a mistake at turn one, ran a little bit wide, and I just passed him and didn't give him any opportunity to be next to me when the pass was finished. And I think he was a little bit dirty at the time, I think, but I think the press probably made it bigger than what it was. Um, and I said at the time, and I, I would still say today, and I will say the same in October when we go there again, that 
you don't have any friends in the last stint at Bathurst and it's, you know, it's the race that we're all going to win. So um, as long as it's within the rules and that was deemed to be within the rules, they said that it was borderline, but that's fine. I'm happy with borderline. I used to race for Tom Walkinshaw. He taught me what borderline was. Um then, yeah, you do what you need to do to win races, and that was one of those things. And in a lot of those instances, if the guy that's aggrieved was asked the question, would you do it to the other guy, they'd they probably say, say yes. yes. Yeah, they probably so. would. And, I mean, like I said, Rick O and I are still very good friends today, and I don't think we've spoken about it in a bad way. So I don't think there's any dramas there. So there you go. Your attempt at digging up some dirt I am has not, not trying to dig dirt. <laughs> do not label me with that. Hey, mate, I work in the here media now. I know go. how it Oh, works. you know the game now, do you? <laughs> well, oh, I'm right, okay, still on okay, my P-plates yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Um, 2011, uh, a very different win. By yep. that stage, the rules had changed, as you alluded to yep. earlier, with you couldn't pair up with your – actually, it changed the year before, 2010. Was 10, the, the yeah, year 2010. Conky and I. Conky uh, and I. That's the year, year that the door fell off at the pit Mate, stop, and I think I almost everything. fell off my chair in commentary. Every, everything. He nearly hit a kangaroo too. No, I nearly hit a oh, kangaroo. Yeah. Yep. I had to dodge a kangaroo. The, the medical car hit us in pit lane. That's right. And this is the retro livery. Yeah, it's so a retro livery. Car, the, the black 20, and white 25th car. anniversary. 20th. Well, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Black and um, white. And so the medical car hit us. <laughs> so it something had happened and it was obviously safety car and we were coming into pit, uh, pit entry in the medical car. Someone's obviously yelled, scramble, 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 and the medical car's just nailed it coming out of pit lane and just literally driven into the – it was the passenger side, so I had nothing to do with the driver's door falling off. So <laughs> I'm driving down pit lane. I think this is after the door had fallen off in our pit stop before. I said, boys, you're not going to believe this, and this is sort of a measure of how our day's going, is the medical car's just run into us. <laughs> Is the car okay? Is the car- yeah, the car's fine, but that's just a measure of what's going on. So, um, but yeah, I remember that the, 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 the driver changed when the door fell off. Um, uh, so McConkie was getting out and I was getting in, I think. Yeah, I think so. And the door, he, you open the door and it just fell off the hinges for some reason. <laughs> McConkie's trying to sort of hold the door. It's just get out of the way. Let me get in. <laughs> and, to their boys' credit, actually, it was Scotty Elms um, who did it, one of the guys that worked for us. I mean, that's not an easy job to do because you sort of got to line it up on these two pins because one of the very few standard things still on the race cars back then was the door hinges. So you had to line it up on these two tiny little four-millimeter pins and he lined it up and got it and did it pretty quickly. Like, I don't think under, it was that much. Time. Under a fair bit of pressure. So, um, yeah, that was... I mean, we finished third that day, Conky and I, and um, we bought Scotty a beer that night. Yeah, absolutely. He deserved it. Probably a slab. Mm. Uh, and 11 is the win with Nick Perk yeah. at the fight at the end with Craig Lowndes and the Vodafone yep. car who had done about a million double stacks all day and was yep. trying to claw yep. his way back and, and get you. That's a ripping finish. If you go and dig out the tape of the last yep. 20-odd laps, you had fair margin and you yep. got to you. But it's times like that, and we've talked to – a thing that the journo Paul Gover does and love him or loathe him, one of the things he always talks about is race for your life. Who would you want to race for your life? And that one is proof that race of why I'd probably pick you. Oh, thanks. No, no, seriously. I mean, that was your car was not as fast no, as No, it his. wasn't at the you end. You had to do what you had to do to get the win there. Yep. Yeah, Any no, other bloke would have got past. Our car wasn't that fast in that last stint for some inexplicable reason because prior to that, we were more than a match for both Craig and Jamie all through the day. So it's, it's an interesting race, and, and this will be the bit that you'll be able to pull out. All right, and now ma- you're and, getting the game And here, make a headline man. that you'll yeah, put yeah, out yeah. for the press release okay. for your pod. All right, we're ready. We're noting this down. Scaife is dirty, the Percat 
stood on top step of that podium. Totally. And he's dirty because they had to double stack all day and that's what cost him the race. Also, the, I think Nick, oh, Nick bumped the Nick fence bumped in turn two and got away with it. Yeah, like Mark's never made a mistake at Bathurst. So, um, <laughs> Oh, this is good. It's on. No, but that's that's unfair to be yeah, ha- as harsh as he has been on Nick. And he blew in the end and has done since, and, and we'll have a, an aggressive beer over this at some stage, Mark <laughs> and I, but because he... Had to, that, that car had to double stack behind Jamie and it was Tomo. Andrew that Thompson. Yeah, yeah, that yep. year. So don't forget, this is full HRT versus Triple Eight warfare because this is now when Triple Eight are running Commodores, mm. HRT as the factory team, but there's starting to be a bit of the tides are turning. An- animosity between the two teams. So about- there's, there's probably a greater rivalry between those two at the time than there was between HRT and FPR, the factory full oh, team. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and Scaife's driving at Triple Eight and he wants to desperately bleak Clayton, the team that he used to drive for. So there's a bit going on. So it was warfare all week. And um, Scaife started the race. And I was on provisional pole and it rained halfway through the shootout. So the last three cars had to do the shootout in the wet. In the wet. So it was Frosty, myself, or Frosty, Jamie, and myself. So we started ninth or tenth because it was wet. And I think um, Craig's car was up the front somewhere. So, which Mark was sharing with. And um, so they had track position on Jamie and Tomo. Um, but in the first stint, Scafey threw it off at the chase. Tomo passed him and that was it. That was the track position for the rest of the day. So Scafey's bluing all, oh, Percat shouldn't have won that race, blah, 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 blah. And the track position came all the way back to the first stint of the race and it was M. Scafe driving the car. So there's your little bit for the pod. So Scafey won't talk to me for a while now. <laughs> But that's what happened. That's what happened. So, yeah, Nick Nick clipped the wall. Um, but anyone that has won Bathurst will have a story like that, 100%. Of what could have gone wrong oh, or what went right. Some little drama happened through the day. Some little drama happened through the day and it had the potential to derail you. But when we said earlier, when I was there with Mark in 06, it wasn't our day. 11 just happened to be our day. Hmm. With those things, he could have clipped the wall, he could have plucked the corner out of it and it could have been race over. But he... Plucked the wall. He had the mind, um, had the mindset to straight, actually straighten the wheel up so it clipped the wheel evenly. Flush. It didn't have any steering lock on it, and um, yeah, the steering was bent a little bit, but it didn't cost us any lap time. Two wins as a factory driver in the one thousand. One win with GRM earlier. Yep. Just your third start. So yep. you first time you, I finished it. You probably, you probably thought this stuff's easy. Just finish well, it. I did win, that. But, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Uh, it took a while to, to get another one. Uh, they're all different. They're like comparing your kids. You love them all. They're they're all special. Mm-hmm. But uh, to win hold, uh, win Bathurst as a factory Holden driver, clearly that has to have that special little extra bit of sauce on top. Yeah, it does, 100%. And I look, certainly when I won it in 2000 with Bargs at GRM, I did not appreciate what it meant. Um, and um, then took taking nine years to get back, and I don't even think I was really on the podium um, in that you, period. You're right. No, you, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, a sixth, the DNF, a 19th, the DNF, a 16th, the DNF, a DNF, and a 12th. Yeah, there you go. So... Nine years or eight years of not being on the podium after winning it. Mm. Um, I remember actually saying to Wilbur when we walked out, before we walked out, I said, mate, your life's – like we'd won the race, but we were just about to go out on the podium. I said, mate, your life's about to change. And he sort of said, what do you mean? I said, don't worry, you'll understand in a minute. And you go out and away it goes mm. in the pandemonium. So um, winning in a – and I didn't even really appreciate 
what I said to Will until I went out and understood winning Bathurst as a HRT driver is a whole different thing to winning Bathurst as a Holden driver. You know, there's a difference because I was a Holden driver at GRM, but I was a HRT driver when we won it in, in 2009, then again in 2011. There's – in Bathurst, it's, there are more tales of what could have been than, than what mm. were. That's just the nature of the sport. But mm. That it's kind of, and where I'm going is is the couple of years later where you don't even get to start the race. Fourteen, you, you, yeah. Your car gets smashed yep. up with Paul Warren Luff at the wheel with yep. a, a brake drama in yep. Saturday practice. It's akin to whether you're an AFL follower or an NRL follower of, you know, you play every game during the year. You're in the grand final team, and the you get injured the, in the, the warm up. The, you get injured in tra- final training or the yep. like, and you, you don't get to do the thing that you've spent three sixty four days yep. trying to get back towards. Talk me through the mindset of of preparing yourself to go and there's so much build up to Bathurst every year but mm. then when you are it's like the merry-go-round stops and you're not on it and you're I think you you actually did some very good Twitter work that day from yeah. my, from my recollection but talk me through the mindset of missing just yeah, getting it was to tough. do what's your thing like, it was that, tough that's gutting it was gutting and it's pretty flat I mean I felt bad for all the guys on our car I mean Luffy and myself I mean we we're obviously disappointed because we didn't get through the race but you know, all the guys on the car, the engineers, the mechanics, um, they'd worked pretty hard that week because I'd made a mistake in mm. practice on Thursday and, and and hit the wall reasonably hard. And, and look, to be honest, I don't know, and, and we didn't really get to it, whether the crash that ended up happening with the brake failure when Luffy was driving was traced back to the rebuild when the boys had to fix the car. I don't know. Honestly, don't know. But we'd just done a front shock change or a front spring change where you change the whole shock and spring assembly. And Luffy tapped the brake pedal when he rolled out of the garage and then when he hit the brakes at the end of Mountain Straight. So it was on an outlap and um, had no brakes. So, yeah, I mean, felt for the boys because they'd worked pretty hard that week and we were in the shootout. So we didn't get to do the shootout, but we were in the shootout. Um, and then, yeah, didn't get through the race. So it was pretty flat. So, But then you, you, you change your energy around pretty quickly. Okay, James and Murph are still in the race. What, and straight away to the team, well, what can I do to help? And they're, they're all sort of set up and, you know, all the engineers from my car go over and do run extra strategy work for them and there's not much that Luffy and I can do. So, yeah, I just jumped on Twitter and started tweeting. <laughs> that was good. Did a bit of TV stuff. That was fun. Um, and, yeah, yeah, that was good. That was good. Just watched the race. It was a cra- pretty crazy race, that 14 race. So uh, there's, there's a bit going on. Would have been good to be part of, but um, – but yeah, more than it's to be. No, the eight-hour Bathurst one thousand. Yeah, yeah. As I mean, that's the only Bathurst where we've had a uh, like a half-time break. You could go out, rebuild your car on the grid, and yeah. keep going. I don't like that it's rule. Pretty strange. I no, like I didn't that. like that rule either. No, I thought no, no. it was, Leave thought them it was terrible. Are, yeah, send them again. Anyway, that's a whole. Anyway, other topic. that's a whole other um, podcast. Forget the fact that you're now an enduro driver. Yeah, we talked about that co-driver change where we took away the regulars. Yep, sharing with one another. Yep, we've done that for ten years, and and just park the idea of because you know. For some drivers, you know, recently out of a main game drive, you can go and drive for a great team and still have the chance to win Bathurst for mm-hmm. however many years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like the rule? Do you not like the rule? It depends who you are, if you like the rule or not like the rule. Does it bring more people into it? Does it take more people out? Oh, it definitely keeps more cars in the race, 100%. Um, but more cars from the same teams rather than from different teams. Yeah, but wouldn't you rather have 10 cars in the battle at the end of the race, regardless of what sure. manufacturer or what team, wouldn't you rather have 10 cars in the last stint of the race with a chance to win it than two or three? And that's sort of – if you went back to pairing up um, 
you know, your primaries and then just having a second car for old dudes like myself to just go and <laughs> have a skid around you're Bathurst. You're not that old. You're not you, – that rule – when it was used to be like that, that was okay. You used to have 50 cars in the race. Mm. So that was all right because there was enough density in the race for, for stuff to be happening all the time. Now that the race is different where there's far less cars starting the race – you need to have more quality in the race through the race, uh, and, uh, and so I can understand. The, I can certainly understand the rule. Um, I can un- also understand the purity of wanting, you know, the, the primaries in the car, um, but it adds to another element of the, st- you know, adds another element to the story of the race. You know, you know, the, there's since this rule's been brought in, where primaries aren't allowed to pair up, and you have to have a non-primary and a primary. The co-drivers, some of the, there's always been a story about a co-driver that's done above and beyond throughout mm. the race, and I think that's fantastic because you've got more storylines. Otherwise, we're just talking about the same 25 dudes driving around for eight hours, same 12, and then the, the second cars are just yeah, the, yeah, that's the right. Contractual so obligation. Cars our sports about stories and yeah, personalities, and and you get this chance to introduce another 25 personalities into the sport for three weekends of the year. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, fair point. Um, you are back in the factory fold this year with the yeah. Red Bull Holden Racing Team driver. Funny way to get there, but it, I got there. <laughs> it is. It's probably not what you were thinking would happen this time last year. But um, going into it, the factory team mm. of what it was to what it is now is completely different. It's yeah. run by a different mob. Cars are different yeah. in spec and colour and everything. Is there any commonality that you can pick up from your brief time in the Triple Eight world of the concept of a factory team is very different now yeah, because there's not, not a factory anymore. And that's but there the is there is a passionate following that probably stayed with the Walkinshaw yeah. side of things, but then there's the passionate Holden side that, are, are, you know, Red Bull is the Holden racing team team. What's your take on – it's clearly different in just about every way, but are there any similarities between the, the two factory no, setups? not really because I think when I joined – um, HRT in 2008, it was probably on the very tail of the fact, soup, you know, the real factory involvement. You know, FPR was still the factory Ford team. Um, HRT was the very much the factory Holden team. But as, as time's gone by and, and manufacturer involvement in the sport has been diluted over the years, whereas to, to the point now where the manufacturers are involved in the sport and we need them to be involved in the sport, but they're not the primary source of income for sponsorship. So, um, so look, it's, it's, um, it's not the same. It's certainly not the same. I, I feel very much when I walk into the workshop at Triple Eight, it's very much the Triple Eight organization. It's not the factory Holden racing team. We are the factory Holden racing team at Triple mm-hmm. Eight now. It's got the big Holden sticker on the side of it. And, and there's still plenty of people at Holden now. That were at Holden when I was at HRT, which is fantastic, and, and it's great to be able to reconnect with them. And, and Holden now are starting to, they sort of dipped away from the sport a little bit for a while there, and they're starting to to come back, which is a good thing because um, yeah, we need them involved. Absolutely. Um, Twenty sixteen, your final year with what was HRT yep. then. That Sandown 500 win, yep. when you knew you were out the door at the end of the year, how I didn't know. Was, I, you no, didn't no, know, no, or did I, you have a feeling that? I, no, I didn't know. I got that wrong. So. We won the race on Sunday, and then just after Ryan told me on Tuesday, I think. So it was a lot like the Tom meeting I had after the championship. Just it wasn't, way you weren't getting promoted; you're just getting booted. Mm. So yeah, look, um, won the Sandown race. Car was mega that weekend, which was the ironically again of the irony of things. The guy you were fighting with is the guy you now team up with. Yeah, um, 
yeah, so um, yeah, ended up beating Shane, which was good. So I didn't really know that three years later we'd be teammates. But <laughs> um, so yeah, the car was mega that weekend. Uh, like you know, you always know within the first three laps of the start of the weekend whether your cars, whether you're a chance to win the race or not. And we were. So we did a really good job that weekend, saved a lot of fuel, had a few tricks in the car that enabled us to save fuel, which Roland didn't like. So <laughs> got them banned. For, for, for our listeners not knowing, what were they? Oh, uh, we had some um some I think mapping tricks that you could do. So we had that in the car and, and um, how could you do that? Well you just had to hold the throttle at a particular throttle percentage and then the map went into this different area that saved a heap of fuel. So you remember in the in that race I had a big battle, Shane, myself and Scotty McLaughlin in the Volvo. And we knew the Volvo was never going to make it on fuel because that thing drank like a sailor. So um so it ended up just sitting behind Scotty, knowing that he wasn't going to be part of the end of the race and just saving fuel like you wouldn't believe. So had a couple of goes to pass him. He wanted to battle, so I said, I'm fine, mate, you can lead. I'll just sit in your toe and save fuel. So did the last pit stop, and I think we came out five or six seconds in front of him because we just didn't have to put as much fuel in as they did. So um, so won the race. Uh, but, yeah, that was that – was, and that's still the last race. Oh, no, Walkinshaw's a 1-1 one, one since they yeah, won that right. AGP Elbow race. last yeah, year. But yeah. that was the last HRT win. With a flapping front. Guard that if you yeah, the car was sort of trying to hurry. It's yeah. trying to lightweight itself. Yeah. So not good for yeah. straight line handling. But and, and so then the week that week you get the call. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gone. Another one of those. Oh, we need to have a meeting. And I sort of had a bit of a hunch this time what that meeting was going to be. So uh, had you been fighting your case before that? No, no. So that's sort of what tells you you get to September and no contract chats says going on. Sort of says. So um, they'd lost. The rationale behind all that's very simple. They'd lost the factory holding money, um, and a prerequisite of having factory holding money was that I had to be employed. So as soon as they lost the holding money, they got rid of me. Simple as so that. So that was in your deal. It wasn't in my was deal. In it was in the holding deal. Yeah. The holding deal said that Garth had to drive there. Mm. So as soon as they'd lost that, they got rid of me. Simple. Mm. Mm. You you went back to GRM as history yes. shows, but did you go back there thinking you were going to be a Volvo driver? No, I didn't know. Didn't know um, potentially. There it was it was it was when I when we first did the deal it was still fifty fifty but it was they were in the courts obviously with what was going on I know I don't know the background of all that stuff, um, and the issue was about the cars going back to Sweden it was, which Volvo it was about said, well, there's IP, the IP, IP and who the owned IP and the engines and, engines and yeah. all the rest yeah. of it I think it was mainly to be honest mainly around engines yeah so because uh, there was a chat which some chat there for a while that we were going to run Commodore engines in a Volvo body. Would that have been? In, would that have gone well? Yeah, I don't think that would have got off the ground, to be honest with you. But there was that chat for a little bit. Different. Um, um, so yeah, um, um, look, to be honest with you, I would have been keen to be in the Volvo. I reckon that would have been cool to see because I that think car. that was a very good car. It was very, very thirsty. The engine was very, very thirsty. That was its only downside because um, I've seen all, I saw all the data <laughs> the following year because we'd always work out our strategy and they'd have all their strategy based on Volvo fuel economy. And I was like. No, no, no. Our economy's yeah, a bit better yeah, than better. that now. We're back in the holding. We've got better economy. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, when I signed the deal, there was still a very good chance I could be driving the Volvo, but it didn't didn't eventuate. Yeah, stayed in Holden's. Mm. Any other deals floating at that time? Was GRM the only place to go? Uh, there, there some was a nice couple. enduro deals or something? Uh, there was – it's funny. So, 16 um, was after the year, like, Gold, went to Gold Coast and had that – I made that massive stuff up with yep. Fabs, absolutely huge stuff up on my behalf. Is that the biggest one of your yep, career? Biggest wise? one of my career. Yep. Um, but um, finally, one of the first phone calls that I got was from Fabs. It wasn't a uh, it might not have been a phone call, it might have been a text. Yeah, just saying, oh look, if you end up non full time next year, let me know. 
and this is so that's another that, another one of those punter things business where, and sport yeah business and sport and yeah yeah so um, so that was one of the first ones. Um, I, I look, I don't know if he'd spoken to the team about that or he was just sounding me out to see what was around because drivers tend to do that. Um, yeah, there was a couple of other opportunities to do some full-time stuff um, in that period from um, 16 into 17. Um, but nah, the GRM one was the most solid for sure. Mm-hmm. Um we talk a lot on this podcast. Uh, the whole V8 Sleuth brand has been built on the history of race cars and what Sleuth and brand. bits and pieces. Well, it is. I mean, it is there was no, I do like no, what you do. There was no, thank you. I do appreciate it. There was no great grand plan when we set out on this whole thing. <laughs> it was just, I like old race cars and I like to know who's had them and where they've been and what they've done. So it's just grown into all this other stuff. One thing we love talking to people about, and we get a lot of um, questions from fans, is about memorabilia, yep. um, values of things, items, personal collections, man caves, all that sort of yep. stuff. And on this podcast, we've talked to some of our guests, and I reckon they're either zero or 100. Yeah. They either don't care about anything and don't keep anything, or yep. they keep absolutely everything and hoard to the max that they'll end up on one of those hoarder shows on page somewhere. <laughs> Where's Garth Tander in that zero to 100 realm? Oh, I'm closer to 100 than zero, but I'm not 100. 90, 80. Uh, yeah, look, I've, I'm, I'm like, like a lot of guys. I've kept um, a helmet. The only year that I don't actually have a helmet from, and I'm really dark with myself, is I sold both my helmets in 2008. Really? Yeah. Why? Re- I don't know. Don't know why I did it. So everyone, a lot of people have the little thing of keep a suit and a helmet from Yeah, and year. I do. I have every other helmet. And every other suit, and you you have two helmets every year. So you know, a lot of guys learn from Russell Ingle that you can you can monetize a lot of this gear. So you you sell one, keep one. <laughs> Good deal. Um, um, but I don't know why I sold both. So I do don't, you know where they are? Yeah, all? I do. I know who's got them. Yeah, uh, and it's a guy that's. Um, and the only thing that I'm comfortable with is it's the guy that um, does sponsor the sport a little bit. Um, he's from far north Queensland, so. Um, yeah, so it's not like they've gone to somewhere. All right, we don't need to start a sleuthing mission. No, no, I know where they are. Okay. I know where they are, okay. and 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 um, I don't. I'm, the fact that I know where they are is okay. But that's the only only. I've still got suits from. I've got a suit from every year. I've got a helmet from every year. I've got um, team kit from every year. So I kept one sort of outfit from every year. Red pants. Yeah, I got the red pants. They didn't get worn that much. <laughs> um, the one that the person that told me to do that actually early early in my career was Alan Moffat. Yeah, really. He actually said, "Make sure you keep, um, make sure you keep something from every year. Make sure you make sure you do that." And it's funny because then teammates with James Moffat in seventeen, he spent that year cleaning out um, the the workshop at Turak, uh, Alan's workshop. He goes, "The amount of stuff that the old man has kept, you wouldn't believe it." <laughs> so that made a lot more sense that Alan <laughs> told me you need to keep some stuff because Alan clearly kept a lot of stuff. Exactly for your kids to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's for me. Um, no, no, cleaning it up. I mean, yeah, they'll probably got to move. Try and sell it for two bucks on eBay later oh, in the three. Later in the They'll be they'll do well if I get two bucks. What's no? I think they go right. What's the what's the prize part? Any collection of anything? There's a prized one or two or three. What's the the standout one. If if she's all going up in flames and you've got time to grab one or two things out, what are you grabbing first? Well, other than making sure that my kids and wife are safe. Of course, no. I just mean in terms of the property, they're all okay and offside. No, so I've got I've – got, so part of the deal with all the teams is that you don't get to keep – That's the, the thing I want to ask you about The original too. trophies. You yep. don't keep the original trophies. So we all get replicas made, but generally by the people that make the originals. But I have when we won the bath when we won Bathurst in two thousand, 
they gave all the drivers and the team an actual trophy. So there was enough trophies to go around effectively. Mm. So I've got the genuine trophy off the podium from 2000 Bathurst win, which is cool because it's still got some scratches on it where we were being a bit cavalier celebrating. Um, but I've got that's genuine. And I think actually um, I think the 09 um, Bathurst, they gave the drivers some sort of mini versions of the Bathurst, but technically that was meant to be for the team. But I hid that in my motorhome and took it home and didn't tell them about it. <laughs> They're probably so, just finding out. They're probably finding out. So it's after it's more than seven years. So statute of limitations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you say she's mine. It's, <laughs> the um, and it, it's an interesting point you raise that, and I think our fans don't probably get that sort of insight. But it's quite interesting in terms of deals with your helmets. Yours, yes. Uh, you obviously for some teams you have different arrangements of team sponsors, your sponsors. Yep. But in terms of race suits, are they theirs? Are they yours? Do you have um, to put it in your contract. I think in most contracts. You get most contracts, you get to have, and look, to be honest with you, pretty much all the driver contracts are a copy of the same contract mm. that just get cut and pasted and moved around, around. Moved around the organo- around the world. Um, but most of the driver contracts, certainly the ones that I've had, is that you get one of your suits as part of the deal. So I've got to tre- check my 888 one. I'm not sure. Mm. Roland, check that contract. Better check that one with Roland. But... Um, yeah, like that's that. So that's cool because, um, and you know, the trophy is for the team because the team the team does the work. We're part of the team, but there's there's more than just the driver in a team environment. So the the, the trophies rightly should go to the team, um, but you do for the driver to keep the what's effectively our uniform, what we're known for, what we're identified by is our helmet and our suit. Um, to be that's. I think that's important for the drivers to be able to keep that. And what we do with them is it's individual. Yeah, mm. People just have them in boxes packed away. People have them out on display. So, um, yeah. Anything we need to go and hunt? Memorabilia, old race cars from your junior oh, days. What would you I know where my – I do. And I listened to your podcast that you had with Jamie about his Formula Ford. And I know where my Formula <laughs> Ford is. It's, <laughs> it's sitting right next to his at Richard Davison's place, which is Will and um, – um, Alex's old man. So um, I, like Jamie, would one day like to have my Formula Ford back um, because I still have a heavy involvement in Formula Ford. Um, so they actually bought that car off us straight off the track. So we really? won the championship at Oran Park in Formula Ford in two, in 97. Richard was there watching. He We took the car back to the, our truck, took our engine out, which, Richard watched us do that to make sure we didn't take any shocks or any fancy bits off the car, took the engine out, and they took the car away from the track, and that was it. Alex went on and raced that car. So I think Alex raced it, Will raced it, James Davison raced it. So I can understand there's a bit of Davison sentimentality around that car, but um, I'll get him one day. I'm a bit like Jamie. Maybe we'll go <laughs> you in You might together. have to team up again. Well, I know Richard's just built this big fancy new house, and he, he went over budget, so I can help him. <laughs> I I can help him. I can help him relieve some of that, that yeah, budget bet. stress if he wants. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very kind of you. <laughs> oh, I'm just here to help. It's, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> such a good bloke. Such a good bloke. Um, uh, we the, the cars that you're instantly identical. Uh, we talked about the 2007 championship mm-hmm. winning car, the Bathurst 2000 car. That's still around. Yeah, I think that's one of the great parts of our history that we do pretty well here. In that, the thing that people see most is the car. Yeah. And generally, there's not too many that we've lost over the years that no. are being chopped up and destroyed. Or, but we're seeing more and more get sold overseas. 
Yeah, well, like my 2011 car now, Zach Brown owns it, so mm. it's it's in Spain or something like that, yeah. isn't it? He's got it overseas. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's it's it's great that someone like Zach has identified. He, maybe he got it as part of buying into the race team. I don't know, but um, so it's great that people are identifying that those cars have value, international value. Um, but yeah, I mean, I harbored the interest of buying my 2007 championship car. Lucas Dumbrell had it for a while, and Lucas every year tried to sell it to me. I kept beating him down on price, beating him down on price, um, and it get getting cheaper. And I got close. And whilst I was still a Clayton, I was starting to actually. I knew where all the stores were, so I was getting. <laughs> I was starting. I, I had a I had a diff housing hidden for it. I had a steering rack hidden for it. Had all this stuff hidden for it that if I ever got the car, I yeah, could the put bits. all the genuine bits back into it because the cars get updated through the journey. So I could have had put it back to 2007 spec, but I, 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 um, I collector bought it and um, did it all up. And yeah, no, it's worth too much money now. Yeah, no. What about a cheap one? What if we got you a, a Valvoline Commodore from back in the day for cheap? Oh, you'd only be only the Bathurst car that you'd be interested in buying. And that's up in Gary's Matchbox collection at, at GRM. So he's got the 2000 Bathurst car. The yellow Monaro, the Holden Thunder Ute, which a lot of people forget about. That. Yeah, which was actually Did you drive that. Yeah, yeah, it was ride days. It was stuff. horrible. Um, <laughs> it's actually that car is actually built out of all the running gear out of my '98 X Gibson Motorsport GRM car, mm. which was the Scaife Seeger car. Yeah, so all the running gear for that is in the Ute. Um, and then he's also got another Monaro there. So I don't think I'll ever be able to prize that out of out of Gary's hands. So he's a car dealer, mate. He wants too much money. Yeah, you know him too well. You know him too well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, too, we love is numbers, uh, stats, racing numbers. You've had a few that, you know, you, number yeah. two was you for a long time, yeah. 34, 134 when you first 134 was my first one because they had some stupid rule that you couldn't because Richard already started the championship and they had some stupid rule. I don't know why. That we couldn't have the same number for some reason. So I was 134, which wasn't the coolest number to have. No, no. But anyway. Put yeah, you, so I did that for the first year. Put you at the bottom of all. No, I don't really have a racing number. But did it, weren't you number 51 as a young bloke? I was 51 in go-karts. So you for, were 51 long before I was 51 before Murphy. way before Murph was 51. And one of the things that I was so excited about joining HSV <laughs> dealer team was... Well, when it was Kmart, though. Well, it was Kmart. Yeah. But Rick was 15 and Murph was 51. And I was so excited because I was getting into, I was going to get 51 back. And part of Murph's deal was he got to take 51 with him. I was, I was dark. So I was 16. 16 is not a great motor racing number. So it won a championship. So yeah, it, it did win a championship. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I mean, if I was, I don't have it. Like Ra- Leanne's got a racing number. She's 42. 42. 42 has been 42 race. forever from go karts. So I don't have a number that's synonymous with me. So two would probably be the one, I think, that, mm. um, which was a cool number to have because when you raced, used to race go-karts, and all the go-karters will know this story, that the, the lower the number you have, the cooler you are. I don't know why that is. It's a teenage thing. It is probably a teenage <laughs> thing. So I had number two. So other than winning a championship where you get to run number one, I had number two, which is the lowest number you can have in the highest championship we have in Australia. So that's by default, by the karting ruling, that's the coolest number to have. So I had that for a while. So that was one of the things actually when I had number one at HRT and then Will had the deal to come and join. So Mark retired and Will Davison came to HRT. I actually said to Rob Crawford, the team manager, and I wasn't going to, when I knew I wasn't going to win the championship, says, hey, 
I get number two. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a number. I don't have a number. And a lot of people will. Um, you actually just raised a little topic that I remember from the time. But you did get to have a drive of a Kmart Commodore, even though Kmart yes. departed the team at the end of the year. Yeah, I drove the car before the last round of the championship in 2004. Mm. They had a ride day at Winton. Correct. And Gary was good enough. So I'd already signed the deal and it was already public news. And Gary was good enough to let me go and drive the car um, before the, before our deal was up, 31 December. So he was good enough to let me go and, and do that. So it was a ride day, uh, yeah, up at Winton. So I get to go for, got to go for a skid up there. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was good fun. Mm. The Kmart car that you never got to. No, well, it was going to be. It was going to be Kmart. I signed yeah. on for it to be Kmart, but then Kmart left the sport, and um, it was still KRT. It was Kelly Racing Kelly Team, Racing not team. Kmart yeah, Racing yeah. Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one little thing too that uh, Will Dale, who works with us here at V8 Sleuth, and is uh, keeping track of all the audio while recording. Yeah, he does this engineer. Sound, sound engineer. engineer to the superstars. Does it say that on your business podcast. card, Will? I think it does. No, no. We'll have to He's put it on. His head. Can you put that on your business card? We better card? put that. Hang yeah. on, I'm writing Chief, it down. Chief, Chief sound, sound, sound engineer. engineer, Vice President of yeah, Sound Engineering, yeah, yeah. Chief of Sound Operations. Good. Uh, am I right in thinking we talked about you with 51 in carts? Did you race carts against Heath Ledger? Yep. That's cool. No, uh, or with well, him or against him or around. No, or so I, Heath, and I, we were mates as kids growing up because, and this goes a long way back. Um, the car that got me interested in motorsport in the very beginning, before I even started racing go karts, was a Mazda RX-7 that my dad worked on back at Perth. Is this a? Oh, it was a street car. What they right. call street cars over there, which is loosely based on. It was basically a Group C car on radial tyres, a great Group C touring car on radial tyres. And Heath's dad owned a company called Rotomotion, which was the engine builders for this Mazda. So Heath and I, as kids growing up, used to bum around at Barbagello. Wanneroo Raceway, as it was known then, Wanneroo uh, Barbagello Raceway as kids. We used to bum around there. And then I was racing carts. And then he, um, Kim, Heath's old man, oh, she, I wouldn't mind getting Heath involved in karting. So he used to come down and after we'd finished racing. So I think he was still, he was, he was a couple of years younger than me. Um, he used to come down and, and go for a skid afterwards. It was, it was on the dirt. So I started racing on the dirt. Uh, and Kim, Heath's old man, used to race speedway, used to race speed cars. So he went, oh, race go-karts, race on the dirt. There's a bit of synergy there. And yeah, that's, so yeah, yeah. No, I knew Heath. We were kids. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. We always talk about how things are a small it's amazing world and where things Where things up. come from. Like we used to race in this tiny little, tiny, tiny, tiny little kart track in an industrial suburb in Perth called Kewdale. The track's not there anymore. It's a big transport depot. Um, there was only like 30 people in this club. And, yeah, we used to have the best time. Seriously, used to have the best time. It was so cool. So you would have probably lost touch with him what teenager years? Um, yeah, a little bit because uh, he went off and did oh, – like I um, I went off and did, started racing cars. He went off and did Home and Away and all the rest of it, started the acting stuff, which he was sort of doing from a very early age anyway. Um, and then we reconnected a little bit once he became a superstar really? um, through some management companies – that um, we're trying to do some stuff for Perth people, you know, Perth people on the you know big mm. stage. His stage was probably a little bit bigger than mine, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, and then certainly once he became a mega star, like no, nah, he was he was a mega star. Yeah, Academy Awards. But I still speak to um, whenever I'm in Perth and at the track up at Barbagoda Raceway on non V8 weekends. Still speak to Kim all the time. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. Even when Leanne was racing the RX7, 
um, in um, improved production. Kim was trying to build us an engine and do all these sorts of deals. He's a wheeler and dealer. <laughs> Motor racing, full, yeah, of full of them. They're everywhere. Full They're of everywhere. Uh, we're nearly done. Thank you so much for your time. We, we do no, appreciate no it. You have already expressed that you are a somewhat listener of the V8 Sleuth podcast. I am. I'm a, I'm a late I'm a late comer to the podcast world. Well, welcome. It's good but, to have you. Um, but your one with McConkie got me started on it, actually. To I'm be glad. I'm glad to hear. Former teammate of yours from yes, the, yes. the GRM days and fellow yes. Monaro winner. Yes. So you'll know that we finished these with the top ten shootout. Okay. You have had many polls in your in your shootout career. Yep. Let's see how you go with this one. So this is basically fancy word association. Ah, okay. You give me the first word. I'll let you have two or three if you yeah, need them. Okay. To ex- to describe the people and things that I'm about to oh, this drop could on. Be dangerous. You said it, not yeah, me. Okay. All right. There'll be some provocative questions in here. Go. No, no, no. It's just names, and you just give me the words. Go. And I'll ask you for more. James Courtney. Playboy. Oh, right. Oh. Enough said. Ah. Uh, no, he's a fast driver, but it could have been a lot faster if he concentrated more. <laughs> okay, okay. Peter Brock. We did talk about Brock, I, but I, in I, a word. We used to, his nickname to us was Icon, so Icon. Hard to argue. Mark Scaife. Intense. Mm-hmm. In a good way or a bad way? Uh, take it how you want to. Okay. Ryan Walkinshaw. Challenging. Okay. Roland Dane. Impressive. Okay. And that was before before I even – when I used to race against him, I was like, yeah, he's good. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Leanne Tander. Ah, love of my life. Multiple words, but I will permit it. Barbara Gallo. Home. You call Barbara Gallo Wanneroo. Mate, I grew up – I went there from when I was two and it was Wanneroo Raceway. And I know the Barbara Gallo family well. But it's Swanaroo. Okay. I'm good with that. Uh, Rob Crawford. Um, loud. <laughs> <laughs> of course, for those who might not remember, Rob Crawford was the team manager at the Toll HSV dealer team. Kmart prior to that, then he was with HRT uh, later on. Last year was with 23 Red in Supercars. Mm. Uh, Will Davison. <sighs> scattered. Jamie Winkup said indecisive. You yeah. said scattered. I listened to Jamie's one, and it's it's bang on. It's it, it is correct. His description of Davo is bang on. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, indecisive or scattered. Yes, but you did share some history together. Yes. So, um, and the final car against the shootout clock, Gary Rogers. Hmm, it's probably changed my answer in the last From six about months. 12 months ago, yeah. Yeah. Look, hard to answer that one in one word, but what I will say is that. Um, Absolutely respect the guy for what he's done and what he's achieved and, and the way he has stayed involved in the sport, but just disappointed about what happened with he and I. But we'll get over that in time, but it's probably still a bit early. That means that one day we will do EP2 with you down the track when we've got whatever that word is. There's plenty of other topics yeah, to talk yeah, about. Can, we've covered... can we hold? Give me 10 years. To okay, we'll word. give you 10 years. We've covered a lot of ground. GT, thanks for coming and sticking some time with us. Thanks we've... for having me at Sleuth HQ. Mate, <laughs> we have been stoked to have you. We covered a lot. No, in all seriousness, we've covered a lot of ground there. There's a lot left for us to do, but uh, thanks again. Good Cheers, stuff. mate. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Garth Tander for joining the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Holden. It was great to have him at HQ and sit down and go down memory lane. 
Now, this is one of a few podcasts we're doing this month to celebrate Holden's 50th anniversary of factory involvement in Australian motorsport and at Bathurst. So make sure you subscribe to the V8 Loop podcast so you'll know as soon as we release the next episode. And if you love your Holdens, we've got a great new book coming out that's right up your alleyway, just in time for Bathurst and Christmas too. It's the official photographic history of 500 championship race wins for Commodore, a milestone that the model brought up this year at Townsville with Shane Van Gisbergen. Now, as it says in the title, it's got a picture of all 500 of the Commodore race wins from the Australian Touring Car Championship and what it's become as the Supercars Championship. Want a picture of Bob Morris in the Craven Mild Car at Oran Park in 1980? We've got it. Mark Scaife in the Golden Child in Adelaide 2002? We've got it. If it was a championship race win for Commodore, you will see it in the book. It's got all the stats, a rundown of the top 10 most successful drivers, and a bit of a spoiler alert, Garth Tander is pretty high on that list too. It's available to pre-order now. Head to the V8 Sleuth website and click on store, or head to authenticcollectibles.com.au and you'll find it there. If you're enjoying the V8 Sleuth podcast, make sure you leave us a review to help spread the word. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. Mainly, tell us what you like. And keep an eye out too on our website, v8sleuth.com.au, and our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages to stay up to date as well. Until then, we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Holden. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.